0: With plenty of trash, and we've got Wimbledon. Rafa Nadal is gone. What went wrong with the Spanish superstar? You'll find out here. This is no holds barred. What a program we've got today Talk about Very easy to keep the energy levels up today This program is stacked We're going to start with A bit of NBA news Summer league action Where is Lonzo Ball? We've got Floyd Mayweather And Conor McGregor their August 26th bout. They are on the World Tour promoting it. The trash talk is flowing. We're going to talk about that briefly. And then we're going to segue on to Wimbledon. Rafael Nadal is gone. Jules Muller. What an upset. A five-set epic. And we're going to talk about that. Why did Nadal lose? What went wrong? And we're going to go through the other matchups. Wimbledon business end, there's a lot to talk about, but today we're starting with Summer League action over there in Vegas, we're on Lon's watch, Lonzo Ball, the Lakers prized rookie and the Lakers were matched up against the Sacramento Kings last night and Lonzo Ball was rested. Well, it was said that he had an injury. They talked about Lonzo Ball won't play tonight. He's got a bit of a slight groin injury. So rested, uh, injured, sore, however you want to put it. But it was interesting, the Lakers last night playing the Sacramento Kings and their prize rookie, De'Arian Fox, out of Kentucky. So speculation was uh, was going on around uh, around Vegas and around basketball circles that Lons took the night off because he didn't want to face Deary and Fox. We know those two had a bit of a rivalry, played twice uh, this last college season, and Fox uh, reportedly got the better of Lons' ball in that matchup. So, no Lons last night. The Lakers uh, dominated the contest overall and got the victory. Um, but it's just interesting with, with Lonzo crowds have been flocking to uh, the arena in Vegas unlike any any summer league uh, previously over the last decade here's an example for you the Celtics played the Lakers there just the other night and there are 18,000 people packed into the packed into the stadium and it sold out 48 hours before tip off and this is summer league this is like a bunch of a bunch of guys who are not going to make the NBA roster when the season starts, a bunch of guys who are, are trying out from Europe, from the D League, okay, uh, and a bunch of rookies who come NBA season day one, opening night, are going to be buried on the bench, wondering or not whether or not they're going to get any court time. It's only guys like Lonzo Ball, De'Ari and Fox, you know, full set of Philadelphia that are going to be. Uh, regular players and starters in this league from the get-go. And fans are flocking into these arenas like it's a playoff game. It is absolutely incredible. And I think a lot of it has to do with Lonzo Ball and the amount of hype that he's created since uh, since coming into the league. Now, I think Lonzo, he really has the ability to be, uh, to be a great player in the league. I'm not too sure if he'll be a superstar. But uh, he has an opportunity there. Being drafted with the Lakers, the Lakers with their brand, and with Lonzo running the point guard position, uh, I definitely think he has the opportunity to to be a star in this league. Now, I don't know if he's going to put up amazing numbers such as you know twenty-five points, ten dimes, and, and, and seven or eight boards. But if he's somewhere in the you know eighteen to twenty points a game, you know ten assists, and you know four or five rebounds a game, um, I think he's going to pr- provide incredible value and, and playing in a market such as Los Angeles, uh, the attention is going to be on Hollywood left, right and centre and I think he has the opportunity to be a, a transcendent player over over the journey, over over a, a 10-year period. But Lons didn't play last night, the uh, Arian Fox and the Lons, Lonzo Ball, they will get to see each other uh, plenty of times throughout their career and but the Summer League is Going berserk over there in Vegas, and it's great to see. So the NBA have done a great job promoting the Summer League and building it up to where, you know what, there's there's plenty of interest during the NBA offseason. They've done a remarkable job. The NBA is looking as healthy as ever. And uh, with um, star-prized rookies such as Lonzo Ball selling at arenas, um, things are looking up not only for... Uh, for the Lakers, but also for uh, for the NBA. In saying that, speaking of the Lakers, they are still on the move, making moves. Magic Johnson and uh, Rob Pelinka, General Manager and, uh, and President of Basketball Operations, they have been on the phone with Regin Rondo. Um, we all know about Regin Rondo, formerly of uh, the Boston Celtics. He played shortly at the Kings. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, he's pretty much been run out of town everywhere he's been at. Uh, high basketball IQ, raging, but uh, not the easiest player to get along with. Um, he's very hard-headed, but Magic has been on the phone to Rondo, looking to bring him across to uh, to Hollywood on a one-year deal. The Lakers want to keep that cap room um, freed up for next year when LeBron James, Russell Westbrook and Paul George come out of contract so they can land land a couple of superstars. Uh, to keep the keep the show rolling, uh, but and Rondo, an interesting one there to come on board, uh, mate, perhaps for for a one year deal, and just provide some um, some savvy veteran leadership and, and some uh, and a high basketball IQ. Um, so it would be interesting to see if if the Lakers can fit and Rondo in, because the Lakers have this is reportedly this is just in this is news just in, Cantavius uh, Caldwell Pope. Formerly the Detroit Pistons has signed a one-year, eighteen-million-dollar deal with the Los Angeles Lakers to come in and play the shooting guard position. So that's an upgrade for LA, and they've got him for one year, which is just what they were after. So they can free up that they can have that cap room free for next year for for an assault on on the, in the LeBron James, Westbrook, and Paul George stakes. Now, a little bit of a side, a little bit of a side story here with uh, Caldwell Pope. He does have the same agent as wait for it, LeBron James. And word out of Cleveland is, uh, LeBron looks like uh, he is happy to hang around in Cleveland for the next year, uh, make a run at it uh, at these Golden State Warriors next year. But word is that you know it's all bit over. Uh, he wants to leave town because uh, he is uh, he is just at loggerheads constantly with Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert. And not good news for Cleveland fans or for, or for Dan Gilbert. Good news for the rest of the league, though, and good news uh, for, uh, for those teams that are out on the West Coast because it looks like LeBron James has had enough of Cleveland. Uh, he's done what he's had to do there, and it looks like he's going to head for the hills and sign somewhere else next year. Now, as I said, the side note is, um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope's agent is LeBron James's agent. So there is a connection there. Read into it, what you may, but I think uh, I think that is very interesting. Smart move from Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka going out and getting Caldwell Pope, um, keeping uh, keeping that connection to uh, to LeBron James for uh, for a possible assault to to get uh, to get LBJ in the purple and gold next next season. Paul George has, uh, has arrived in Oklahoma City. Fans were flocking at the airport there. As Paul George arrived there, they're excited to have him in town. And you know they are hoping that he hangs around for uh, after this year. It looks like a one-year rental for him. Paul George has said that he wants to, he wants to be a Los Angeles Laker um, after next season. Uh, but the fans there at Oklahoma City are hoping that uh, they can convince him to stay around with a great organization such as OKC. Well, a well-run organization um, with Sam Presti there, the general manager. But um, I think they've got their work cut out for him. I don't think George wants to hang around there. Uh, I think uh, I, I think he will, uh, he'll head to the West Coast after the season. Uh, but uh, time will tell. Um, it's definitely an interesting one there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. Coming up next on No Holds Barred, I'm going to talk about uh, some of these crazy contracts that are going on in the NBA. Uh, James Harden, we know, signed for $230 million um, earlier on the week. And uh, we were going to come back here at No Holds Barred. So some of these contracts that are being signed in the NBA, we've seen nothing like it. You know, Harden signed there at the end of last week for, for 228, four-year extension. And, look, I haven't got a problem with... I haven't got a problem with superstars and NBA stars, you know, getting paid that amount of money. That's, that's fine. I understand that. The problem I have is these other contracts that... Uh, you know these these players that are not stars at all. They're nowhere near stars. They're basically role players. Um, you know I'm not paying the amount of money that these guys uh, these guys are getting, and I think sometimes these these franchises and these teams uh, have nothing but to blame with themselves by you know throwing this amount of money around. Now I don't mind. You know, a Steph Curry getting two hundred one million dollars, or Harden two twenty eight, or you know LeBron, you know three hundred. You know, they they are worth that amount of money. You know, these guys are, you know, transcendent players. They're top five players in the league. I'm, I've got no problems paying my stars, but I'm not paying Otto Porter one hundred and five million dollars when he averages twelve points a game and he can shoot a three pointer. Every once in a while. Okay? I mean, that's just ridiculous. I'm going out and I'm getting stars. Houston, the Houston Rockets, uh, James Harden, and they've made some moves. Their, their general manager, um, Daryl Morey, has gone out and got Chris Paul. And now he's working frantically behind the scenes to get Carmelo Anthony to come across there as well. And all I'm hearing are people saying, well, how's that going to work? Like, with those three guys, they all need the ball in their hand. Well, yeah, they all need the ball in their hand, but you're not beating the Golden State Warriors by holding on to draft picks like Danny Ainge is up there in Boston. They've improved slightly, but they gave up Avery Bradley, their second-best player, to bring in Gordon Haywood, so they're slightly better. But they've still got all these draft picks, and out of all the draft picks... All the, all the picks that Danny Ainge has picked out of the draft over the last four years, not, not one of them is, has been an All-Star. So it's a star-driven league, and if there's a superstar or a star player out there, you've got to go get him right now. You've got to get him. Because I'm not, I'm not one to pay Otto Porter $105 million. Or I'm not having Chandler Parsons come to me and say, Hey man, hey bro, you pay me 110 or I'm leaving town. You know what I'm saying to Chandler Parsons? I'm saying, hey, let me buy your ticket, Chandler. Okay, goodbye. You know the leverage that some of these players have got now, just because they can hit a three-pointer, or because they've come into the league at the right time. Um, it's it's just outrageous. You know, Mike Conley, he's another one. He's not an elite point guard. He's probably the next level down. He's probably mid um, a mid-tier point guard. You know, middle of the range. Signed a huge deal there um, a couple of seasons ago just based on the fact that, hey, we don't want him going anywhere else. Well, he doesn't... Mike Conley is a good, reliable point guard, but he's not leading you to the NBA Finals. And they're the players that you need. I've got no problem paying stars. Go and get the star player. Go and get Chris Stapp Porzingis. Pay him $200 million. Okay? But don't hold on to draft picks and and hope that hey, we're going to do it through the draft. You know how many how many players? It's very rare that you draft a player and they stick around at your franchise for 15 years and they become a, 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 a you know a 14, 15 time All Star, um, win you NBA championships, um, Hall of Fame. No, very very rare. You know, Kobe Bryant is one that stands out. You know. LeBron James, yes, he's won your draft and he, he left, you he come back, now he's going to leave again. But it's very rare that you do it through the draft and you develop the player and you keep him. Okay, You've got to go out and you've got to make trades, you've got to put draft picks together, make trades, make moves. Just like the Rockets are doing. Mallow, Chris Paul, James Harden. Oh, how are they going to work out? There's only one basketball, how are they going to work it out? They'll figure it out. They will figure it out. I'm picking a team with three guys like that to figure it out and win, than a team with Chandler Parsons and Otto Porter. So it just it just blows my mind. I mean Otto Porter, 105 million dollars. I remember when Alonzo Morning, Alonzo Morning signed with the Miami Heat, and his was a seven-year deal at about that, about 105. To $110 million. I think it was the same year Shaquille O'Neal went from the Orlando Magic to the Lakers. Seven years and 120. Now, Shaquille O'Neal is arguably the most dominant centre to ever play this game. And the amount of money that's being thrown around to guys such as, you know, such as these role players like Otto Porter and Parsons and Conley. Imagine what Shaquille O'Neal would be worth. It'd be a five hundred million dollar contract. I mean, it is just, uh, it is just unbelievable, unbelievable. So you know, you got to have the stars, though. You got to have the stars. You look at Golden State. You know, Durant, Curry, Green, Iguodala, Thompson. You know. Five deep star players. You know, you've got Cleveland, Love, Irving, LeBron. They're short one more. At least Houston are in the game now. They've got James Harden, Chris Paul. Carmelo Anthony, possibly. They're working frantically to get him. And you get these guys, you talk about this kind of stuff, and they go, oh, yeah, but how how are three guys that need the ball, how are they going to... How are they going to figure it out? They'll figure it out. They're superstars. They'll figure it out. They want to win. That's the whole idea. But Danny Ainge is holding draft picks, going, yep, we're just going to be patient. We're we're, we're going to be patient with this one. Then you've got Isaiah Thomas coming out of contract next year. What, you're going to pay him $200 million? A 5'7 point guard? When was the last time a... A five-foot-eight point guard ledger to the NBA championship. Never, because it's never happened, and it's not going to happen. So if you're Danny Ainge, get on the phone to New York, inquire about Chris Stapp, Porzingis. The Knicks are that diabolical in terms of personnel and making decisions, the worst one-run franchise in the league, arguably, that you'd probably get him on the cheap anyway. Give up three first-rounders for Porzingis, and all of a sudden, you're in the game. Until then, stop talking about draft picks and, yep, we're, we're going to be okay. We're, we're going to wait it out. We've got, a, we've got a master plan. No, I don't think you've got a plan. I think, you're, uh, I think you're clueless. Houston got the right idea. They're making moves now. They're getting star players. And then, you know what? They're going to figure it out on the fly. That's the way to do it. It's a star-driven league. Go and get your stars. This is No Holds Barred save up my best but you better cover your eyes because you never know when I spit it out it stops some flowing. in I try rides to grow like trees you're smoking your drums feel like lumps it brains. up a little bit we're back here at no holds Bard and we're gonna segue onto to this circus act that is will be going on on August the twenty sixth. The Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor world tour promotional tour is in full effect, and the first press conference took place there yesterday. And you know thoughts on this setup here or this matchup? It's really it's really a tough one. Personally, I think this is just a basic money grab, and. I think the fight in itself is not going to be as entertaining as the, the promotional tour and the trash talk that these two are going to go back and forth over the next, uh, the next month and a half. Um, and what I saw yesterday really really backs up everything that I think about this fight. It's just going to be all hype. How you could expect McGregor to come in here and just be, to be a straight-up boxer not being able to use his feet or his martial arts, skills and tactics that he's professionally trained in when he fights in the UFC and expect him to to win a fight against Floyd Mayweather, who has never lost and has barely been hit over the course of his career, um, is, is kind of hard to believe. But, you know... It's entertainment, nonetheless. Okay, to have a a boxer versus a a mixed martial artist, and you know, I just think to fight under Mayweather's uh, Mayweather's rules, where it's just hand combat, um, nothing else uh, that even resembles UFC, um, even the the octagon itself. Uh, I just think that uh, this is just nothing but a money grab, without a doubt. Now, yeah, they're going to make a lot of money, these guys, because people are going to people are going to plug in and they're going to watch this. They're going to be fascinated by this, and I just hope that when uh, when it's all said and done on August twenty sixth that it's just not it's just not an embarrassment to to uh, to both these guys and and to to the sport, I guess, of uh, of combat. Now, hopefully, McGregor can. Can get out there and and put a few on Mayweather and, and make it a make it a fight, make it interesting. Um but you know pundits are talking about you know Mayweather will will should be able to run rings around McGregor because it's on his terms, it's uh his rules, uh and the amount of money that these two are going to be generating with this you know, this promotional World Circus tour, I guess I like to call it, uh will be uh will be astronomical Um, but the first press conference yesterday um, Conor McGregor was suited up um, looking a million dollars and all he could do was make fun of Mayweather who was dressed up in a in a uh, in a tracksuit dressed in the uh, the American colors flag colors and these two uh, went at it toe to toe talking absolute smack talk and trash which is uh which is what we love uh, and it was entertaining nonetheless. It was just the usual antics from these two. Mayweather has been one of the, the best trash talkers and fight promoters uh, you know, over the course of his career and, and there's no one like Conor McGregor in the UFC. Uh, he, is, uh, he is a renowned trash talker, talking absolute smack, berating his opponent, playing the mind games and uh, that's what I enjoy the most. I enjoy the mind games uh, and there's none better than McGregor. Um, and whether or not he's going to be able to make a dent once that fight rolls around on August 26, and and to shake up Mayweather is yet to be seen. I haven't decided whether or not I will be watching. I will definitely be watching the uh, the circus act as it as it goes ahead, as they stop in certain cities promoting the fight, um, and you know some of the numbers that you'll hear that this uh, this fight generates and this uh, th- 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 that these uh, these two athletes make. Uh, will actually blow you away. I just hope that come August twenty sixth that it's not a flop. I hope that they provide value and they provide uh they provide the fans the fans get their money's worth and that's all I hope. I would love to see McGregor knock Mayweather out. That'd be absolutely fantastic. But I hope they put on a good show and I hope there's plenty of value for all that uh that tune in. This is no holds Barred. Up. We're gonna have a problem. What a show so far! Gee whiz, we're just getting warmed up. I have got a few things that I want to touch on here. That's going on over there at Wimbledon. Some real controversy over there with the court conditions. We're going to get into that here soon, and I want to talk about some of these uh, some of these coaches that just uh, just seem to show up when the cameras are on. I spoke about Mark Philippoussis there about a week ago i got a bone to pick with a couple of other guys, but we're going to get into that here soon. You need to hang around for that. But Wimbledon, I so said we're in the business end right now, and I'm going to fly through some results here because I want to talk about Nadal. Nadal is out. Jules Muller has put him to the sword. 15-13 in the fifth set. I'm going to talk about why Nadal went from the overall favourite to on the next flight back to Madrid... But first of all, we're going to talk results. And Thomas Burditch moved through to the quarterfinal stage. He got over Dominic Team. I said this one was going to be a tight one. And it was 6-3 in the fifth for Burditch. His grass court experience got him through in that one there. So Thomas Burdic gets a crack at Novak Djokovic. Djokovic got through last night. I told you it would be a walk in the park, and it was. He played Manorino, who was way out of his depth. Way out of his class. It was six-two, seven-six, six-four. Novak hardly raised a sweat. Uh, just a practice run for him. Andy Murray got through against uh, Benny Pair. I mentioned uh, in the lead-up to that one that uh, that Pair is uh, a loose cannon, and uh, he was dominating that first set early on. But mentally got fragile, started hitting drop shots um, for some idiotic reason in typical Benoit Pair style. Uh, and he went down in straight sets And Murray stays alive with that one there um, Pear pretty much defeated himself he was, uh, he was looking good that Every time he got himself in a, in a leading position He would go away from his game plan He'd go away from the, the tactics that got him there And that's why Benny Pear is not uh, an elite top ten player Because he just doesn't think the way an elite player should think um, so he's out. He's on the next plane back to Paris. And uh, Murray moves forward. Sam Querrey and Kevin Anderson put on an absolute classic. That one, I said, was a 50-50 uh, matchup, and it was 6-3 in the fifth to Sam Querrey. He got through. Kevin Anderson, a good tournament from him, his best result so far. But Querrey moves through. Uh, he beat Djokovic last year, Querrey, and he's backed that up with another um, fantastic run here at Wimbledon. Uh, a good win there from the American. Uh, Marin Cilic defeated the Spaniard Batista Agut just blew him away, 6-2, 6-2, 6-2 so Marin, his game on the fast courts, big serve big flat ground strokes and Agut basically tapped out of that one there he showed no heart, I expected that one to be a little bit closer, but uh, picked Cilic to win nonetheless uh, so Cilic moves forward he, uh, he is gaining momentum uh, Milos Raonic beat my guy Zverev, I picked Zverev to get through here, but Zverev did not convert. He, con- he only converted three of 17 break points. And when you are only converting that many break points at that clip, then you don't deserve to win. And uh, Alex Zverev is out of the tournament. Big Milos moves through there, 6-1 in the fifth set. Zverev, I think, will be a Grand Slam champion over the next two to three years. But it won't be this year. He needs to work on his, uh, his big point Uh, Match tactics there 3-17 on break points Definitely won't get the job done And he paid the price for that one And Roger Federer Versus Grigor Dimitrov Two of the finer athletes uh, on the planet On the tour Uh, I spoke about how Federer Was patchy against Misha Zverev The round before uh, And Grigor come in one of the hottest players Well Grigor has uh, left his A game At the door again Too many forehand errors Uh, Two loose from the back of the court And Federer steamrolled Dimitrov 6-4, 6-2, 6-4 And Dimitrov moves to 0-6 against Roger Federer With most of those losses coming in Grand Slam events On the big stage So Dimitrov pulls up short And he's got to go back to the drawing board And work out what he can do uh, To break through in these big, big matches And get some consistency for the rest of the year Coming up next, Nadal versus Muller Why he is out ...here at No Holds Barred. We're back here at No Holds Barred... ...and Rafael Nadal... ...has been bundled out of the championships... ...for 2017 by Jules Muller... ...of Luxembourg. It was an epic match. 6-3, 6-4... ...3-6, 4-6, 15-13... ...in the fifth to Muller. And going into this one... Muller was a guy that I suspected could give Nadal trouble with his big lefty serve, one of the best serves in world tennis, but to have Nadal out of the championships after he was in such impressive form is a shock. There's no doubt about that because he was looking sublime. His movement, his, uh, his racket head acceleration, uh, his, uh, his court coverage, his his mental, uh, his mental toughness, his fight, everything was there, but now, incredibly, Nadal is out. And if you had have noticed this match or seen some of the highlights or um, you know tuned in for for a little bit of time, you would have noticed a few things that went on tactically um, from Nadal that I think I truly believe has uh, has cost him a run at this this year's championship. Um, if you hadn't noticed, Nadal was, was standing way back near, uh, near the backdrop when Muller was serving. And, uh, you know, it's something that Nadal does, especially uh, on a clay court and on a hard court as well the majority of the time. And I believe this defensive positioning on a grass court is the reason why he's out of the tournament this year. And I don't know what his, uh, his mentor, Uncle Tony and uh, Carlos Moyer and his coaching staff were doing, but they should have been in the Dale's ear for him to stand up in the court okay, and to dominate from the baseline like he did in the first three rounds. First three rounds, he was nothing but awesome. He was up on the line. He was uh, taking the ball early, hitting the ball on the rise, dictating, being aggressive, and all of a sudden he went into into defensive mode and he paid the price. There's no way in the world that standing back there that far Somewhat, sometimes two metres behind the baseline on a grass court is going, to be, uh, is going to be a benefit to your game once the game starts. Let alone when you're facing a server, a left-handed server, like Jules Muller. One of the best servers on the planet. Okay? Or Muller. All Muller was doing was pulling Nadal wide. Okay? Wide, especially on the backhand court where his lefty served wide into Nadal's forehand, which stayed low. Okay, opening up the court and then knocking the ball into the open court, whether it's from the baseline or serve and volleying. And he picked these spots. Muller was, Muller was smart. He didn't come in willy-nilly. He didn't charge the net every single point and be predictable. Sometimes he stayed back. Sometimes he came in. He kept Nadal guessing it off balance. But Nadal did himself no favours at all by starting, starting each point so far back in the court. It's, it was a defensive mindset and on a grass court, you know, starting from way back there puts you at a real disadvantage and Nadal paid the price in a very, very big way. Because he was so far back, once the point started, his ground strokes, they lacked the penetration that they did in the earlier rounds. Okay? When he was a metre, two metres behind the baseline, rolling the ball in with heavy spin, Muller was able to dictate, he was able to take the ball on the right, he's a big man Muller, he stands at about 6 foot 4, 6 foot 5, and he was able to take that ball on the rise, the ball bouncing up in his hitting zone, where he could hit maximum velocity and picky spots, and the Dahl was off balance, and Muller continued to club winner after w- after winner, um, as well as serve uh, upwards of 30 bombs as well, so uh, the the tactics from the dial were absolutely blew me away, and... I believe it was poor coaching um, from, from his mentor, Uncle Tony, and from his coaching staff. I believe Carlos Moyer is still involved there. Um, but, you know, Nadal paid the price for, uh, for, for a, poor, a poor strategy, poor tactics from, from his behalf, and all of a sudden he found himself off balance, and, um, you know, and to convert two of 16 break points as well, because of that defensive mindset, because of that defensive stance, uh Muller was able to get out of trouble time and time again, and uh he was able to attack, and in the end, it cost the Spanish superstar the title here in 2017. Nadal out. You're listening to No Holds Bard. Just uh mind-boggling strategy from Nadal and to have his coaching staff not, uh, not have him play up in the court like he should have been have him so far back there on a the grass court never going to work, never going to work and that was a, a big mistake he's played a lot of big match tennis especially at Wimbledon, he should have known better than that and Muller Muller took advantage there and, and Nadal paid the price, so I, just, I just didn't get it, I didn't get it, he didn't make any adjustments at all and it cost him anyway, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to stay on the Wimbledon topic here we're going to talk about court conditions, we did speak about this briefly a couple of programs ago when I spoke about my good friend then Davis Cup court curator Shane Reed, the court curator for the Australian Davis Cup team, whenever they play on grass, we spoke about the courts bruising and uh, leaving a mark and being dewy and a little bit damp and uh, player safety has been uh, a big issue and During Novak Djokovic's dominant display against Manorino in round four, a real walk in the park for the Serbian champ, he uh, noticed a couple of holes in the court and uh, he brought it to the umpire's attention and he was concerned with with the safety of the court, the playability, the way the court is and he's come out in the media and uh, spoken about it. Other players have come forward as well, Uh, there's been a lot of falls, a lot of uh, issues on the outside courts. As opposed to the the show courts, and players are uh, are not really happy with the the court conditions, and you know the ground staff and the court curators there at Wimbledon have, have come under uh, come under uh, under fire uh, a skating attack. Now they have come out and obviously defended their uh, defended the situation, defended the way they have prepared the courts this year, and they've got to come out and do that, and they've got to protect their brand. Uh, of course, they're going to say that, but. You know, there is no denying that uh, the courts this year are not in the condition that they have, uh, that they have been previously. And I spoke with Shane today, and uh, he brought it to my attention that, you know what, he's been watching, uh, watching the event closely. He loves Wimbledon. Uh, he did do some work over there at Wimbledon uh, in the early 2000s, 2003, 2002, around that area, around the, the Patrick Rafter, Goran show down there. Um, this guy is uh, the best in the business, and he, he has said to me, he said, Jade, uh, the court conditions, are, they've, they've never been worse there. And the players are backing that up. The players are not happy. I expect, uh, expect uh, to hear more about this as the second week progresses. And when you have, uh, when you have courts, when you have uh, holes in the courts, especially at the Wimbledon Championships, then it is a major, major concern. I mean, this is Wimbledon. It doesn't get any bigger. And this is absolutely unacceptable. There is no excuse for this whatsoever. Um, You know, this is the holy grail of tennis. Two weeks. uh, It is the showcase event on the calendar for uh, both the ATP Tour and the WTA Tours. And uh, the players... You know, deserve better, and I, I guess so do the fans. And um, you know, the the ground staff and the court curators—they are in—they uh, are in damage control right now. And as I said, this is the Wimbledon Championships. Um, there really should be shouldn't be any excuse for this. Uh, it's Wimbledon. It is not the uh, you know the Wamagama Grass Court Championships. This is uh, the Holy Grail. And uh, the courts should be in pristine condition. Players should feel safe when they are out there. And we've seen this over over time. Uh, the courts have changed significantly from uh, you know the late 90s. They have uh, they've changed the court to one that is uh, is more is more uh, more comfortable for baseline play. Okay, uh, more comfortable for viewing. And it's so much harder to serve and volley these days and and come to the net. In fact, the uh, the advantage that attacking players used to have on the grass courts, they no longer have. It's become more of a baseline game. They don't do it with the French Open. They don't speed the French Open courts up. So I don't know why they would want to slow down the uh, the Wimbledon grass courts and and make it more of a, a neutral court instead of a you know one that one that serves the uh, the attacking players and helps them. Um, but the courts uh, have never been worse, and uh, it's unacceptable. And um, It needs to improve. This is no holds barred. I mean, have you seen these courts? It's just... It's just not good enough. There should be the old traditional grass that the courts should be curated so they favour attacking players like a grass court. So you've got all three surfaces. You've got a hard court. You've got... The French Open, where, you know, defensive players, it's a slow surface, and then you've got Wimbledon, where servant volleys and attacking players, they should get the reward. Slowing the courts down for baseline play, unacceptable. Roger Federer should have over 10 Wimbledon championships, but because they changed the court, he loses to guys like Nadal and Djokovic on grass. Federer on a traditional grass court would never lose to those guys. Another fact. You know, we're in the last segment here at No Holds Barred. It's been a big show. It's been a massive show. And I just want to finish on an interesting one here with uh, the coaching side of things. And we've got all these these top players that are, you know, linking up with these former top players and this super coach uh, kind of setup And... I'm going to talk about Andre Agassi, who is in Novak Djokovic's Novak Djokovic's corner for uh, for the Wimbledon Championships. I don't know if it's going to be an on, an ongoing um, scenario or matchup, but you know, I just uh, I spoke about Philippousis the other week there uh, in terms of Cock and Arcus and what can he bring to the table and what value can he provide? Well. I just don't understand the thinking of Andre Agassi coming on board the Novak Djokovic train and sitting in his corner and helping him win more Grand Slams, I guess you could say. Or, you know, coming on board from a coaching standpoint and, you know, helping Novak improve and uh, get better and. you know win win more slams if that's that's obviously what he's aiming to do. Uh, Mario Ančić is all, also in Novak's corner, the former Croatian uh, top 10 player. And and it just got me thinking it's like oh, I just don't understand you know why these super coaches come on and and jump on board with these super players. If anything Andre Agassi is better off coaching somebody else. And lifting them up to a much higher level, say bringing someone from, you know, the top fifty in the world to top ten in the world, that would be a tremendous coaching job. That would be, you know, uh, better for the game than to come on board and to help Novak Djokovic dominate and win even more than what he already has. Now, whether or not he wins more slams uh, is yet to be seen, but you know. I use the Grigor Dimitrov thing for an example. I was in a discussion today where I said, you know, I'm tired of like, you know, Agassi jumps in, links up with Novak. Agassi would be much better going and helping, let's say, a Grigor Dimitrov go from where he's at, uh, top 15 in the world, and helping him develop and grow and get to number one in the world. It would be much better for the sport for Agassi to coach Dimitrov from where he's at to number one in the world. Than to jump on and coach Novak and help him win like a couple more Grand Slams, if that's what he's able to do. I'm just tired of seeing the, you know, the former star player jumping in and, uh, you know, with the with the star, with the superstar, um, just because it's the cool thing to do. And ironically, once again, this has happened just before Wimbledon, when for two weeks the focus is totally on Wimbledon. And here's Agassi sitting up there in the box. Yeah, I'm with Novak now. I'm with Novak. Yeah, he's better off coaching. These guys are better off coaching players that you know that haven't fulfilled their potential yet. Someone like a Grigor Dimitrov or or someone um, outside the top twenty, a young player who hasn't fulfilled their potential and you know are underachieving. These are the players that an Agassi. For example, if they want to get into the coaching ranks, should be linking up with and helping them develop and helping them mature and helping them grow and helping them maximize their potential talents and gifts into the top 10, into the top five, to number one in the world. It just blows my mind. They just jump on. They just jump on the bandwagon and join the big show. Yeah, you know, what's the value in that? What's the point in that? What's the challenge in that? Super coach joins super player. Meanwhile, there's players that, you know, are not fulfilling their potential and maximizing their gifts and you know, there'd be much more value in helping them. From a, from a coaching standpoint and from a challenge standpoint and from a integrity standpoint to develop them and grow them, be much better for the game than, you know, hey, let's form up and let's team up and get in front of the camera and help Novak. Win Wimbledon or win another U.S. Open—you know whether or not he's, he's able to do that is yet to be seen, as I said earlier on. But you know, Andre Agassi—I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of what of what's going on, especially with that situation. And you know, word has it that you know, and this is you know the inside scoop here—that Andre has been. Living it up, nonetheless, in London over the two weeks, you know, lapping up the atmosphere, so to speak, the nightlife. Okay, so how serious is Andre Agassi? I mean, really, how serious is he in terms of in terms of that? You know, the other one I like to talk about is is Darren Cahill. Okay, the Australian coach. You know, has had the be- has the has had the best jobs of all of them. Okay, worked a little bit with Agassi. Then jumped on Leighton Hewitt's uh, coattails and bandwagon. Okay, now he's currently coaching Simona Halep from Romania, and has been for a while. Now, Halep, one of the best female athletes on the planet. There's no doubt about that. She was top ten in the world when uh, when he came on board to help her out, and she hasn't done anything greater. Now that Darren Cahill has been in her corner than before he arrived. Okay, yes, you may say, oh, well, hang on, Jade. She's number two in the world right now. She's moved up. Well, no Serena Williams for obvious reasons. She's out of the game. She's pregnant. No Victoria Azarenka. Same reason. She's just making her way back. No Maria Sharapova. She's been out of the game because of uh, of the performance performing, enhancing drug situation. She's only just, you know, making her way back. So the women's game is not what it used to be. And Halep has done nothing but underachieve. Losing in the French Open final as, as one of the favourites. Losing here uh, last night to Joanna Conta after being a set-up. She continues to pull up short time and time again. And Darren Cahill gets a free pass. And I just don't understand it. Again, another super coach with another super player set up. You want to impress me? If Darren Cahill wants to impress me, go and coach. Why don't you put your hand up and coach Nick Kyrgios? Why don't you say, Nick, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to coach you from where you are now, around about 20 in the world, okay? in free fall, mindset all over the place. You know, physical limitations, not putting the work in. How about I come on board and help you maximise your potential, Nick? How about I help you get back in the top... How how about I get you into the top ten, okay, into the top five and to the number one ranking in the world? You know, winning multiple grand slams, maximising your potential, fulfilling your potential. Oh, no, but you don't see that. You don't see that from these guys. That may be too difficult. That may, uh, that may stretch the, uh, the coaching capabilities of a Cahill or an Agassi. They may have to invest too much time, too much blood, sweat and tears for that to take place. You know, it just blows me away. If these guys rate themselves so highly, go and coach a Dimitrov or a Kyrgios. Get in their corner and help them develop and maximise their potential and their gifts. it would be much better, for, much better for the sport then jumping on Novak's coattails or Halep's coattails and looking into the camera. Yes, sir. You know, so it doesn't impress me at all. Being a so-called super coach and teaming up with a super player that's already well and firmly entrenched in the top five in the world, either on the men's or women's side of the game, does nothing for the game at all on a global scale. And it does nothing from a coaching perspective to prove that you're a fantastic coach. The player's already established. The player's already elite. The player's already super elite, winning grand slams, winning tournaments week in, week out. Go and take on a player that is not doing that but has the potential to do that. Help that player go from where they are to where they should be. And there's a ton of them out there. Nick Kyrgios is one of them. Why can't Cahill call Nick and say, Nick, I want to coach you. Enough's enough. You're going backwards. It's time to fulfill your potential, fulfill your ability. I can help you go top 10, top five where you belong, and then from there, we can crack number one. You'll be a multiple, multiple Grand Slam champion and superstar. I can show you the way. No, but you don't see that from Cahill. You're seeing just slip in, helping Halep, who was already elite, already established, and she's done nothing but underachieve since he came on board. Better off giving back to the game by coaching Akirios and help him get to the top of the ladder, the top of the game. Same with Agassi. Agassi teaming up with Novak. Does nothing for the game at all. Helping a guy, a young star like Dimitrov, go from where he's at, top 15, inconsistent form. Helping him go top 10, top 5, number one in the world. Help him win four or five majors. Help him crack through, help him break through, fulfill his athletic gifts and talents. It'll do so much more for the game on a global level instead of sitting there in the box for two weeks over Wimbledon. Clapping Novak every time he hits a backhand winner as the cameras roll. Oh, there's Andre. What a program today, huh? Just super, super stuff going on everywhere. NBA Summer League, the Mayweather McGregor, Circus act. We're going to give, bring you more of that as it uh, gets closer. August 26, and of course Wimbledon. Second week in full effect. More matches tonight. We're going to bring you the the matchups tomorrow. We're going to give give you some live action tonight from No Holds Barred Studio. So stay tuned for that. We've got the big guns in action: Federer, Murray, Novak. It should be a tremendous show. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. It's been great. bringing it to you from the No Holds Barred studio. This is No Holds Barred.